Hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. In this episode, Cassio and I spoke to Nick Summers, who's a features editor at Bloomberg Businessweek magazine, and at the time we spoke to him was based in London. We spoke to him about his role at Bloomberg Business Week, how it fits into the wider Bloomberg offering, and also about some individual pieces that he had helped shepherd to publication, including one about an FBI informant and another about IBM. We both really enjoyed it at the uh, slightly intimidating Bloomberg HQ on Finsbury Square. It wasn't that intimidating, it was full of free food. Yeah, which we sampled. And uh, as ever, we tried to get as much uh, practical advice and and useful uh, snippets of information into this as possible. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. We're here at the Bloomberg offices in London with Nick Summers. Um, Nick, what's your official title? That's a good question. I'm not sure we officially have official titles here, but uh, I'm the I'm the features editor in London. Um, before that, I was in New York, um, and I'm actually moving back to New York in about a month. Sure. And can you start just by telling us a bit about your background and your your route and your entry into journalism? Sure. Um, it starts with my mom. My mom was a, a career um, she was a lifer at the Washington Post. Um, so I sort of grew up with a post uh, in in the family, and I always wanted to have her job and. Um, so, you know, I worked in the high school newspaper, worked in the college newspaper, and there was really never any even just discussion in my head about any other career track. Um, I went from uh, Columbia to Newsweek um, as my first job. Um, I was there for about five years, maybe six, um, doing a lot of different things. But the last thing, one of the last things was working on the 2008 presidential campaign, going around for a little more than a year with the various campaigns. Um, I went to the New York Observer to write the media column pretty briefly, just for a few months, and then came back to Newsweek when it had merged with uh, Tina Brown's Daily Beast and was there for a year or two before coming to Business Week in 2012. Sure, yeah, I was going to ask where in the in the recent iterations of Newsweek you'd fitted in there, but it seems like in yeah, the, there have been the many iterations. Regime yeah, and, uh, yeah I was sort of, um, sort of like traditional uh, Newsweek where you know, they let me go out in the campaign trail for like 15 months and just do pure reporting. Um, I worked in this book project uh, where your notes are actually kept secret from the rest of the magazine until they're published. Um, you and, and several other team members uh, is all published as a book, published uh, two days after the election. And if you just think about like the scale of the commitment of to have two for Newsweek to have two duplicate reporting teams, one reporting for the weekly magazine and another team. Uh, reporting for this book project is just it's just staggering. And then I was there for a very different Newsweek when it was sort of you know combined with a web startup. Um, so I've been yeah a few different places in the in this era of uh, print journalism. And how long have you worked for um, for Business Week? So 2012 to now, it's a five five years and change. I was a staff writer for the first few years, and then switched over into editing uh, in 2014. And I've been here for the last uh, two years working out of London. And uh, is your role in um, America, in New York, going to be exactly the same as it is now, or is it sort yeah. of being changed slightly? No, it's just the same. Um, we're a funny shop. I mean, there are um, there are writers in New York that have continued to edit since moving out here, and there are European-based writers who were edited out of out of, out of New York. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I've definitely met some new and very talented writers out here that I hope to keep working with after I go back to the states. And has your um, interest here always been kind of in the sort of longer form features um, type pieces or, or have you done other things? Um, yeah, like yeah, it's always been long form. Um, and, you know, Business Week, that's one of the advantages of, of working there is that it's one of the, you know, few remaining um, news weeklies to 
really invest in long pieces, pieces that require weeks or months or longer of reporting, um, and give writers the space they need to really tell those stories. Um, you know, we have pretty typical lengths, you know, to 2,500, 3,000 words for most pieces most weeks, but, you know, if you really get a hold of something and want to go up to 10,000, you know, you can, the answer to that question can be yes, you know, getting extra pages in the magazine is often yes. Um, there's, it's, there are a lot of resources here, and we try to make the most of them. And in terms of your your current role, what is the? Could you talk a little bit about that in terms of how many pieces you're working on at any one time, and, and you know, what what you do? Yeah, um, you know it changes. I mean, I might, um, on my desk I've got a really sophisticated system of, of post-it notes, which is in sort of three stacks. Like one, each, each post-it is like is, is a project in in progress. The left column is sort of notional or imaginary. You know, they've been greenlit, but the reporting is underway. It might go great. It might peter out. Um, they just kind of exist. They can some posts that have been on that stack for quite for quite a while. The middle stack is when copy is in and it's sort of it's become real. Um, that there's actually something that I can really work on. Um, and the third column is for for drafts that have been accepted and are actually in the pipeline and in some stage of you know you know being they're off my desk. They've moved on to a top editor. Um, they've come back to my desk for. Uh, they're on the way to galley, something, something like that. Um, sorry, very long answer to your question. Of, I was trying to picture that that those columns have probably got fifteen going right now. I would I would say in various stages of completion. I'm just going to. It's definitely Simon's turn to ask a question, but I'm just fascinated by the post-it note thing. <laughs> in this age of computers, you've got three columns of post-it notes. How long have you been running this system? Is should there a color code? Should be said, Cassie is a fan of the post-it note. <laughs> you know, we have you know pretty fancy you know workflow software, but I don't know the old the old-fashioned stuff is. Um, I just like there's something nice and tactile about it, um, and then just you can also see. Um, you know, so we, we use Trello for for mm. workflow, um, and there's this like. Um, what's that word? Skeuomorphic, skeuomorphized. It's like when Apple designs an app, like a Notepad app that looks like a Notepad. Mm. Um, it's when real life design elements um, are, are digitized. There's a feature in Trello, or in Trello where it, uh, one of their cards will sort of get um, yellowed with age. Mm. What that just happens in real life on my desk. I mean, I, you can see the, <laughs> the corners of some post-its curling up, and then I know to um, sort of call that writer and say, mm. how are you doing? Yeah, the do post-it's you, curling do, up, do you need the to, post-it's dying. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you need some TLC, or what's what's going on? Mm. Um, but yeah, no, hey, whatever works. Mm. Okay, digression over. And all, <laughs> uh, all, all, among the manifold pile of post-it notes, are there writing projects as well you're doing, or is your work, is it now concentrating? I've just, I've just been, I've been only editing for a couple of years now. Um, I've been meaning to get back to writing for a couple of years now, but it's always just sort of... Um, I haven't quite got around to it. Uh, could you um, explain a little bit more how um, Business Week fits into the kind of the wider uh, world of, of Bloomberg? Like, what what role is it performing? Sure. I mean, first of all, it is a, a wider world. I mean, Bloomberg is a, a sprawling company of which the you know the journalism arm is just is just a part of it. I mean, it's you know the, the the money that comes in is you know through. You know, financial services. You know, they provide data information to the, the finance sector, and then journalism is, is just one of those sort of lanes of information that gets to those the people who pay for the Bloomberg terminal. And then Business Week is just a small part of, of that journalism operation. Um, so, you know, um, in, in a sense, it's as simple as we're a weekly magazine. You know, we do everything online, and that's that's our, our priority, of course. But we. You know, this, this, the, the organizing thing is that we have a weekly perspective on the news, and we can use that to step back. We can use that to really gather people's attention, come out with a cover that focuses, um, 
all of social media on what we think is our best piece that week. Um, so we're at home for the entire newsroom to come when they've got a story that needs um, a wider audience that has you know, been in the reporting works for weeks or months and really needs a, a bigger canvas for expression. Um, we also work with freelancers um, who bring us great stories from a lot of different countries. Um, but yeah, it's it's in its simplest form, it's 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 a weekly showcase for the best of Bloomberg and also some of our own stuff in terms of freelancers and other contributors. It sounds like you've got an awful um, lot of freedom to uh, you know with, with your writers and how long they can take to write pieces and and also with the with the scope of, of pieces. How do you see that? Um, you know, have you experienced sort of resentment within the rest of the organization <laughs> uh, for, the, for the, the leeway that you have? Um, no, I mean, people, people are, um, sometimes I wonder what, like, my colleagues think I do all day because, you know, they, they might meet 10 deadlines in the, in the time mm. it takes me to meet one. Um, but it's, I think everyone appreciates that there are just, there are multiple ways to tell a story um, and multiple audiences. You know, there's one version of journalism for getting information to people who are really closely following a, a certain stock or a certain you know economic situation in some country mm-hmm. and a completely different way to do it for um, you know for a general audience that say you know I'm thinking of an upcoming story we have about opioids you know a lot of people know opioids are, opioids are a big problem but they also I don't know can find it difficult to dive into those stories because they're so mm-hmm. depressing time and time and time again we can we think we found a very interesting, very specific uh, piece to tell, and we'll have that. Um, I won't talk about too much about future mm. projects, but you know, we can we c- we have a little bit of a different ability to f- gather and focus attention than than um, other parts of the organization. And um, there's just a lot of different ways to do journalism, mm-hmm. and we just occupy was one, one one extreme of it. And obviously, um, you said at the beginning that Bloomberg is a is a very sporting business and, and this is just one offering do you find that um, your the readers who are, who are most um, faithful to Business Week are sort of siloed off or, or you know is there sort of a, a widespread amongst what people want from Bloomberg of, of which Business Week is, is one part I think that's a question that I don't, I don't know if anybody any publication can really the question of who our readers are is really existential mm. um you know, in a certain sense, when you publish a piece, you're just trying to get everyone's attention, um, and it's, you know, you, and, and you're just refreshing Twitter and Facebook to see is this catching fire? Are people, mm. you know, coming across? Is, is it achieving escape velocity and, and reaching a, a wider audience? Um, I don't know if any publication can really, with sincerity, say that they have an intense clan of devotees who read everything they do. I mean, the age of completest readers, I think, is probably over. Um, but I don't know. I might be getting a feel from 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 your from your question. Um, there's hopefully people who expect a certain thing from Business Week, which is you know, really smart um, business coverage that's well reported, well well written, with a little bit of an edge. Um, hopefully we meet that, but also hopefully we write stuff that people find for the first time every mm. every single week. And to what extent is it an American magazine? To what extent is it an international magazine? Um, you know, look, it's, it's the, the fact of the matter is it's edited out, out of New York. I mean, the ambition is to be a, a global magazine, to realize that there are great stories to be told absolutely everywhere. And, you know, we have Bloomberg has staff in a million uh, different different places. Um, there's a certain reality. So it's a global magazine, but there's a certain reality that, you know, most, a lot of the people that we want to talk to are based in America. Um, but if they are, they also have business interests everywhere. Um, 
it's definitely our goal to have more global coverage. Um, but yeah, channeling global coverage for often American interests um, can, can be a challenge. And how businessy is it? I was just looking downstairs <laughs> at the, the cover of your latest magazine, which I haven't read the story, but it, it looked like that was a pre- almost a political story or quite a, you know, much broader than... You know, we take business as an incredibly broad... Um, or it, business can be an excuse to write about absolutely anything. Um, and the last story that I wrote was about bank robbers. There's nothing businessy <laughs> or financial about that story, aside from the fact that they, they robbed banks and they, they stole money. Um, but it was a fun story to do. Um, so, you know, politics is without question, you know, squarely in the business, financial, economic realm. You know, what Trump does here or what Steve Bannon will, will do next it absolutely affects business. And it, it's whenever I meet freelancers, um, I, I, I try to tell them, like, you know, if, if you haven't been considering pitching Business Week because you don't think you know enough about business, well, you know, think again, but every story can, can be a business story. Um, nearly any profile you want to do, you, we can figure out a, a, a money angle to it and let you do um, a, a, quite a lot, quite a broad range of stories. And as an American editor working here, how have you seen kind of American magazine process versus, versus British, British journalism? Um, you know, it was a surprise when I came out to London um, how sort of small the, the, the British long-form scene was. I mean, there's a lot of talent here, but, but there, there, there wasn't, um, there's not as much of it in, 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 in London as there is in New York or the, or the rest of the state. There, there just isn't that, that tradition. Um, so I've had some interesting conversations with, with, with people. I don't even know how much time they have, um, what rates we pay, um, how much space they can get, um, and what's expected in terms of um, the reporting, how much voice they can they can use. Um, that was yeah, it was been an interesting process learning. Um, it, was, it was a little bit different than I expected coming out here. What did you expect? I don't know. I think you think of of, of England as this land of letters, and there would be this incredibly robust tradition of just like sensational reporter writers. Um, and there isn't. And there isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 and listening to your podcast and other podcasts, you know, you really, a lot of people make this, make this point. Um, it's referred to here often as American-style long-form journalism, yeah. which I, I think says, says it all. Why do you think that is? Do you have a theory? Um, I, might, I might not have a theory. Um, I, I was thinking about that this morning, um, knowing that you guys were coming in. Um, I don't know. It's just more of a, um, more of a of, of, of a rollicking tabloid sensibility, and I think less patience. I don't know, maybe less respect for, for, for journalism. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a bit of a um, of a feeling when you open up a certain magazine um, and see a certain byline on a certain topic. You you you, you as a reader um, have been led to, to put a lot of trust. In, in that this person has spent probably months and months reporting something worked with a million layers of editing to really bring out the story in as clear and compelling a way as possible um, whereas if I were to pick up I don't know a long piece here I would, I, I would frankly I would just assume that not as much work had been put into it F- uh, fewer layers of editing were involved and that there might be more of a um, political bias on the, on the part of the writer is that fair I don't know but, yeah, but, but I'm just saying yeah. that's, that's certainly what, what me as a reader that's, those are the thoughts in my head so we kind of want to um, g- 
get to kind of the nuts and, and bolts of, of what it is that you do sure. sort of talk about the, uh, what goes on behind the post-it um, steps. <laughs> so, more post-its. Yeah, more post-its. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm obsessed now. Um, so if uh, an, an aspire, a, a writer is listening um, to this podcast and aspiring to become a name on one of those um, those <laughs> post-its, uh, how, how would they pitch to you? What kind, of, what kind of things are you looking for in a pitch? What makes a really arresting pitch to you? An arresting pitch is one that, you know, you feel like you couldn't say no to it if you wanted to. Like, there's just a force of nature reporter behind it, and she has, she can't let go of this idea. You know, she, she has a, an original insight and a lot of theories about it, a lot, a lot of questions that she doesn't have answered and wants to, you know, answer through the reporting. Um, so something that seems like, that will require a great deal of reporting and then a lot of payoff in terms of what can be observed about a new or novel, you know, person or company or trend or or crime or, or whatever the subject is um, and will appeal to to um, to a, a lot of people um, um, I mean you know in our shop pitches really have to um, speak for themselves um, we share a lot of times writers will send a pitch and then be surprised to get a verdict back within a week mm. we, we, we tend to, to move pitches into our you know, weekly pitch memo really quickly, and it's not uncommon for a editor to bring a pitch to that meeting and not speak. F- f- you know, it's not an advocacy meeting. It, it, mm. It's just this came in. It, it, does this pitch stand on its own merits? I um, mean, you know, people aren't in this meeting stumping for for, for, for stories. The, the pitch really has to. Who's in that meeting? Um, we have a team of about um, I don't know four or five features editors, and then some other friends in the magazine who sit in. Uh, other other people at the magazine who don't literally edit feature mm. copy but um, but have different roles um, I, you know so when I I was the youngest when I, when I joined up as a features editor in 2014 and I was amazed at how um, equally mm. anyone's opinion you know my know nothing opinion was counted um, it's really just people sitting around a room reading a pitch kind of sitting in silence for a beat or two and then saying yeah yeah I'd, I'd read that or I don't know. I think I think I flip past that. Often the discussion isn't any more sophisticated. I mean, you just you, you just kind of know. Um, it sounds like that part is is very um, collaborative. Do you think that's a, a real strength and, and um, you know do you think that adds to the process or is just that the way that in which you work traditionally? So I hope so. I mean, I I, I hope it it leaves us a little closer to thinking. Um, you know, there's there's a view of the of, of a pitch being like that as being where an editor might be the advocate for the writer, but there's also a view of it where you've got to be an advocate for the reader. You know, do you want this story? And you know, I, I think it's important to say no to, you know, sort of um, stories that are I don't know that are important, but no one would read. Mm. Um, you need to come. It's a come come back when you figure out a way to tell that in, in, in a way that actually will grab. Yeah, will will, will grab people. Um, but uh, I don't know. You know, I um. That's just our shop, and in a lot of places have, have things um, have a quite a different different setup. Um, I also don't want to make it seem like we just give sort of like instant thumbs up, thumbs down verdicts to everything. <laughs> There's often a lot of discussion, but you know, it's like meeting someone. You, um, you can kind of tell: is there a fizziness to the pitch? Um, you know, do, do, do they have it, or, or do they do they not? And um, if you're sort of you spoke at the beginning about how, um, for especially for that kind of American style. Um, writing there's a lot of layers of, uh, of editing and a lot of layers of reporting could you um, 
talk us sort of through that, how long that might take, you know, how rigorous it is and, and what it looks like as much as you can from both sides. Sure. Um, you know, so if a story is greenlit that a reporter or freelancer will work with, typically, um, there are a lot of exceptions, but typically they'll, they'll work with sort of one uh, one of our feature editors. Um, and um, look, the reporting and the, and the writing can take place in a couple of weeks. Um, this one's fast, or it can take months and months. Um, once a draft is is sort of in, and Simon, you and I can talk about just, <laughs> I think that might have been the longest gestation of any piece I've ever worked on was your piece about the Clarks <laughs> of the British legal system. Not, not helped by the sort of novel length first draft that I What was your first draft, remind me? Words. How much? 10,000 words. Is that all? I thought it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that, that's so funny. That was an extreme. Um, Simon is blushing. Um, that was an extreme length to get in. Um, but you also, we also took you know, the first round of edits uh, with an extreme of sort of um, patience. And you, know, you came back with, I think, what, a 6,000 word draft? I think it went draft from number 10 two. to 5. 10 to, to 5. Four, yeah. Something like that. I remember editing that first draft of yours with like the largest Sharpie, like the fattest Sharpie available. Like I did, it wasn't like little delicate pencil scribbles. It was like huge, whole paragraphs, <laughs> whole pages, and it was just like cut. keep or cut, keep or cut, like just the, a, a two-word edit, keep or cut. Um, but but you did it, and, and it came back in, and then um, once we had a draft that everyone really loved, um, that's unusual because that was an utterly unpegged piece. It had no news value of any kind. Uh, it was it could have run in January, it could have run in We should just say for the listeners, this was a story that I wrote about um, barristers' clerks in London that, that ran in business week yeah. uh, earlier this year. It had no news value. It was merely incredibly fascinating and delightfully written. Um, and it took us a while to slot it because, you know, it's easy to always be, you know, we generally run three pieces a week. It's always, it's easy to be the fourth most newsy piece. And so you're, all, you're constantly losing out during getting into the actual print edition. But when we did slot it, um, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the most popular story online for two, for two or three weeks running. Yeah. Which only a couple times a year does a story repeat as the number one as the number one piece, both in terms of uh, hits and just um, total minutes spent, which is my favorite metric. It, yeah. it, it shows how deep into a piece uh, pe- people read. Um, so one, what Nick is saying diplomatically is once they got through the chaff <laughs> of the first edit. <laughs> the wheat was great. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, one, other, one other part of our process that I love, I'm not, I'm not sure if everyone will, will be familiar with it, is um, the way we do top editing, which is once you, once, once an editor and a writer have really worked on something and feel like it's the best that it can be, and it's in the pipeline, um, it goes in for a top edit. And that's a read by a colleague who's coming to it totally cold. And it's really like a reader advocate read. Um, you And they're reading, ideally, they, they send it straight to the copy desk. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to improve. Um, you know, worst case scenario, they send it back to you and say, well, sorry, you're, you're, you're like, I'm not getting it. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you think you've, you've characterized such and such in, in, in this way, sorry, it's just, it's just not working. And you kind of take it back and work on it some more. Uh, I love that, that read. It's a... Um, I was describing it to a colleague. It's like it's kind of like it's kind of like telling someone like you love them for the very first time. It's like like it's a little scary to sort of move somebody to a mm. top edit, but like you're pretty sure that they're gonna love it. Mm. So you're willing to take that take that risk, and it's like the best feeling in the world when they agree. It's like you, yes, you you and the writer have really come up with something here, and if they say no, it's devastating. Uh-huh. Um, but you need to do it to mm. know is you know is this thing you've got uh, ready? You know, is, is is it ready for for the rest of the world? Um, and then from there, we've got great copy editors. And um, then there's extra layers of social media language writing and mm. more and more. It's, it's a process. 
We're going to come back to um, sort of metrics and, and social media a little bit later, but uh, first off, the tricky question, um, how is it, uh, given that these pieces can take a very long time to write and involve a lot of reporting, what are you paying people um, to do that? Um, so I, I, I was told not to get into specifics about our, actu- our actual word rate, but, I, but I'm happy to say that, it, I mean, it's, it's better than competitive. I mean, in term, I mean, so many places are really struggling. Um, Bloomberg's very secure. We pay really well. We, we want the best reporting, the best writing. Um, and um, for anybody who wants to start a business, um, it's, you know, in a, in a long-form way, I mean, our, our, our doors open to great stories, from especially mm-hmm. from around the world. Um, it, um, it'll be, you know, we, we pay um, quite, quite well, I think, uh, re- relatively. And it's certainly um, compared to British extremely favorably compared to British publications. And does it vary um, uh, by writer? Do different writers get different rates, or is it just a, a standard? If you've worked with rate? us before and your copy tends to sail mm-hmm. through, we can yeah we we can discuss that. Um, but our starting rate is, is is pretty good. There's an expectation that we're getting a lot for it. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and then but on top of our word rate is there's you know um, that's just for the writing. I mean, we also pay for the for the reporting. You, mm-hmm. you know, you need to go to places. Um, you know, like our my first instruction to most you know freelancers is go, mm-hmm. hang up, stop talking to me. You know, get 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 to the place that you're vicious about, and get back in touch. Um, you know, it's not spending monopoly money. You know, we've got to be reasonable, but it's just the fact that there is a budget for travel and mm-hmm. for actually going to places um, is fantastic, and um, and really important if you're going to have those kind of yeah. stories. Yeah, um, you know, um, as one of our previous editors used to say, you know, rep- as a writer, reporting sets you free. Um, Writing, great writing is easier when you've done great reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an expectation that you are going to spend a lot of time with the you know, subject of the piece that you're proposing, um, and really spend time in the place that, that you're, you know, um, you've got to be there if you want to, if you want to bring, uh, bring writers into it as well. Just um, a couple of sort of nuts and bolts questions following that. Um, how much, on pitch length, what do you think, this is something Katya and I have discussed internally, what do you think is a good length for a pitch? We might be shorter than other places. I, you know, I would say um, under page, certainly. Um, you know, there's an expectation that if you're going on for for longer than that, you may not be in as complete command of your story mm-hmm. as we would. As you know, as we, um, adding on more information isn't necessarily good. It's it just might show us that you're. I don't know. You don't know how to focus. Um, you know, so, so so you know, a few very well formed um, paragraphs that show what you think. Is, is, is going on, what you propose to find. Um, and, um, you know, just a sense that, um, that that you've got, a, you know, a, th- a theory of the case that you're going to, you know, bring character, mm-hmm. introduce people to characters and show how they think what the world looks like through, through their eyes. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll take pitches that are several pages long, but that, that, that that's the that's the, the exception. I can think of one pitch that was actually longer than the story it proposed to tell. Um, we talk about that one sometimes. Uh, I would not recommend that. <laughs> Um, we have greenlit stories based on one-sentence pitches from internal writers. Mm. And how much of it is written by freelancers? That's probably going down a little bit. It used to be, a, um, I counted once, it used to be about one-third, one-third, one-third. Business Week staff writers, Bloomberg writers who were, you know, who were sort of taking on a project aside from their, mm-hmm. their, their day beats. Um, and then and freelancers. That's pro- the freelance percentage is probably coming down from a third. Um, but it's still, um, you know, like a pretty pretty valuable source of, of great stories in the magazine. And both with your work here at Business Week and more generally, how do you see yourself combining writing and editing and, and going forward? Do you see yourself staying on the editing track or wanting to? Uh, you know, I don't think anybody in 
long-form journalism can have a, a, a re, if they're being honest with themselves, can have a career plan longer than six months. You know, I mean, this is a very, very, very stable place. Um, but, you know, um, in the last few weeks especially, all these, you know, Titanic magazine editors and owners have, uh, have gone on in various ways. Um, you know, I, I really like what I'm, what I'm doing. I intend to be doing it for a while. But um, who knows what things are going to be like ne- next year. And can we talk about a few of the pieces that, um, that you sent over? So firstly, the, the IBM one. So this is a story from 2014. Is that right? Or was it from a, from a few I think years ago? 2013, 2014. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. It's kind of a state of play with IBM piece. How did that come about? And what was what was that like to do, particularly given that the, the head of the company wouldn't talk to you? <laughs> um, right, so this was a, this was a piece um, where the assignment, I didn't pitch that, I was assigned it, and the assignment was, what does IBM do? And that's this is one of the reasons I love working for, for, for Business Week is that um, you know it's a pretty sophisticated set of business journalists, mm. but we're also realistic about I don't know the way regular people talk, and I think there was a real sense. Um, I can't remember whether this was 2013 or 2014. Um, there, there was a real sense at that point that we had we had no idea what this major, major, major company mm. actually did, um, and our way of tackling that was not to put a. Uh, have you know have an IBM a person who really knew ABM, mm-hmm. uh, sorry I, IBM A to Z um, write about it. They put me on it. I knew nothing about IBM, um, but I took, spent a long time talking to a lot of people, asking a lot of really dumb, embarrassing questions, and getting to a place where I actually had an idea. Um, and um, I, I, I actually really cherished that whole experience, where the, the instinct to go to somebody who didn't know anything and throw them in. To, to a reporting project and trust them enough to put it on the cover and take the flack that comes from a piece that was, you know, it, it was the short answer is that they're, they're not doing great. Um, you know, it was not a flack. How are they doing now? I didn't look this up, but was it, was it? Um, that, at, that, at that time, I think the stat was that they'd had tw- 12 straight quarters of sinking revenue, and generally you want revenue to be going up. Um, <laughs> it's, up to, it's up to 21 quarters. Um, I haven't seen them meaningfully change anything about their their general um, lack of reason for existence I think the that you know Watson for example is a is not a product I think it's a cost center not a not not, not a profit center um, and uh, anyway I think I think I think that story holds up pretty, pretty well and it, and, I, and we'll still see links to it come up on Twitter uh, a pet question here do you think that sort of editing the pieces that you edit does that makes you a better writer does that inform the way that you write and the way that you pitch and, and all the rest of it no question um, I mentioned my mom earlier she was um, she ended her career at the Washington Post as the travel editor and she always made herself write a couple of stories per, per year and she hated every minute of it but she thought it was really really important to not just for her um, to sharpen her skills as a writer and an editor both it absolutely sharpens um, but also just to remember what writers go through and the agony of staring at mm. that blinking cursor um and, and just keeping yourself in a in a um, in psychological proximity to to your writer, so that, I thought that was very humane. Um, I should absolutely. I, I need to write more. Um, I got to get my own name on a post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> on your own post-it note. Yeah. Um, Cassie can supply you with several post-it notes if you need. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of, of all manner of stationery. Um, back to some pieces that you have mm-hmm. um, shepherded and and, and, and edited. Mm-hmm. Um, Simon, I know, read and really enjoyed one of your pieces about Instagram. And I um, loved uh, the piece about the FBI informant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're definitely going to link to both of those um, in the show notes. I just thought that uh, the FBI um, 
piece was just, I mean, what a, a fascinating character. Can you talk a little bit more about that piece? Sure. So this is a piece um, where, was the headline of that? The Rogue Informant? Sometimes yeah. the, the note, the sort of slug we've got um, in our internal workflow ends up being the headline of the piece. It might have been The Rogue Informant. Um, the writer, Zeke Fox, is an absolute gem, and he's a really good example of somebody who is sort of crushing it for Bloomberg all day long, all week long, and then he will come to us every now and then, he'll kind of amble uh, downstairs uh, and, and with and say, well, I've come, I've come across him, that, 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 that's a bigger story. Um, he's found these really fascinating characters on what we call like sort of the shady side of Wall Street, so, you know, loan sharks and other kind of... Um, I know people who just aren't on the they're not they're not on the white shoe side. Um, this story was about a guy who became an informant for the FBI investigating white collar crime, um, who got fed up with being um, you know a, uh, a double agent sort of going between um, his his friends and the sort of sort of shady world of, uh, of finance and, and the FBI, and he became a triple agent. He started recording his meetings with the FBI uh, because he was unhappy with with the way he was he was being handled. And he had these sort of um, I, I don't want to say delusions of grandeur because the story was actually kind of grand, um, but he um, he had this incredible story to tell. Zeke told it uh, extremely well. We're not really sure as you're reading what's going to happen next. The ending is very satisfying. Um, more and more of Zeke's pieces get uh, nibbles from from, mm. from, from Hollywood. Um, but um, I'm sorry, what was the question about that? I just wanted you to I sort of talk about it, but I mean, that, I mean, I, I think that was sort of the, the perfect answer because it is a complete page-turning yeah. story. So for, for you to get lost in your answer is, is yeah. perfect. Um, and, and that, yeah, and Zeke is, is really, um, he, there's nobody else quite like him in terms of what, what he brings us. Um, and, and, you know, a few other, uh, um, he has editors on the Bloomberg News side of things, um, including Robert Friedman, who developed all these ideas with him, and there are other of my colleagues who work on them on the magazine side as well. Um, but Zeke really is an expert at sort of figuring out when he's got... His stories always involve a character you can't quite believe is real, and it also just secretly teaches you about the way finance works. Mm. It's like wrapping a pill in peanut butter when you would give it to a dog or something. It's like it's like, <laughs> it's like secretly, or, you know, getting putting uh, Velveeta on broccoli. It's like he you come away from the story not realizing that you are now immensely smarter about the way that you know merchant cash advance works or death spiral financing or how is it that the FBI, that the FBI gets these these financial fraud cases that it sort of trumpets mm. and never really mentions how they get them. Um, and and, and so that in itself is, is quite sort of shady. I mean, you, he is a sympathetic character because you do feel that yeah. he is justified. Yeah. And yeah, Zeke's next project is also going to be great. I, I, I can't say too much about it, but just it has elements of it's basically a Zeke Fox story featuring a Liam Neeson character. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of hopefully that, that tantalizes. We'll wait for the movie. Yeah. And is that kind of page turner, um, really sort of immersive style something that you that you aim for to have that kind of um, more in, enduring kind of style of story? Well, yeah. I mean, ideally, um, there's another piece that I, um, if people are are interested in, um, I, I'd love for them to check out. Is this is a piece about a a fake hijacking, this elaborately staged hijacking of an oil tanker worth uh, $100 million um, in the water between Somalia and Yemen a couple years ago, and, and just how this, I mean, pr- probably the most spectacular shipping fraud in, um, in, in human, in shipping history, which is to say human history. Um, and there are unsolved murders and um, just incredibly Evoc- uh, just, just incredibly dramatic events, and it's all real. Um, 
the reporting effort on that story, um, and if anyone's listening, I, I, maybe there's a link in the show notes. You yeah. can Google the, the hijacking of the Berlante Virtuoso. Um, there's an insane, that's about a year of reporting by two mm-hmm. reporters, um, that um, also involving Bloomberg staffers um, in, you know, in, in, in Manila, you know, translating in Tagalog in real time with people. I mean, like, it, it was a real um, exhibition of, of the resource on offer here. Um, there was a lot, there's a big news value in, in that piece, but the dramatic value was also um, pretty high. And so, yeah, that was one where we said we need, um, I don't know, six or seven thousand words to tell this story, and the web people can put together a bit of a you know special uh, package for, for presentation. Um, yeah, um, not every story is going to be sort of an aspiring screenplay like that. But but yeah, every so often we really want to do one of those. Thrills. And can we talk a bit about the Instagram piece, which mm-hmm. which I loved? And for those who haven't read it, again, we'll put it in the notes. It's about getting a writer to spend a month, was it, to try and become a, an influencer on Instagram. And I was interested reading that about, you know, it's a kind of stunt piece, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, taking the writer to go and do something and, and doing that within the kind of bounds of a, a kind of grown-up magazine. Yeah. Uh, how did that... I, I like the line about the, the conversation with his editor and a slightly <laughs> baffled Bloomberg lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so this piece was... Um, it wasn't just any writer uh, trying to become a glamorous influencer on, on Instagram. It was like a, as he described himself, like a, a, just like a, sh- a guy, like a schlubby kind of kind of guy. He's got a, I don't know, one or two-year-old daughter. You know, he's not at his most... Um, uh, you know, his, his, his self-grooming might not be at, a, at, a, at its life, lifetime peak. Um, was he a staffer? Or a, yeah, yeah, Max Jaffkin. He's an incredibly talented reporter and writer uh, who's on staff. Um, he um, still do an amazingly reported piece about, you know, a big target, Apple, uh, you know, um, Uber. But um, well, also a very funny guy and, and had this idea, can I, can I, Max, become a sort of glossy, you know, um, sort of soft focus uh, Instagram star you know, with lots of pictures of lattes and sort of like which he bought on mass, right? His yeah, bulk yeah, yeah. So he, so he so he went into sort of the dark arts of, of, of buying followers, um, and then the idea was in a month's time, can I get somebody to pay me to to to, to be me? Um, and I don't want to get the story away, but basically he has he has some success, uh, or he gets he goes from zero to influencer, um, and actually um, he ha- he finds that. Uh, even he was able, was able to sort of cultivate out of nothing um, a sort of a following. Yeah. Um, he used some some illicit means to to get real momentum, and uh, yeah, the the lawyer, the newsroom lawyer was had some questions about how how, <laughs> how exactly this this was all going to work. It's a great piece. I think um, it's, it's it's good that we've ended on a sort of social media note because I'd really like to know a bit more about what um, a successful story looks like for you in terms of once you've Pressed, publish. Um, what are you hoping for? Right. Um, I mean, think about that a lot. Um, you know, and, and you you just want it to. There's no really good answer anymore. I mean, you want it to be blowing up Twitter, blowing up, blowing up Facebook. Um, you want to make this sort of, you know, really thoughtful, curated weekly, round, you know, long read roundup emails. Um, you know, there are times when we'll have when a piece of ours will be in all of those lists. And I, mm. I consider that kind of like. Um, you know, hitting for the cycle. Um, that's that's very satisfying. Um, it's also really frustrating if you're trying to think of, if you're really writing for an audience of just a couple of individuals. Mm. Um, so, you know, you and you can get lost in the, you know, internal, you know, stats uh, engine, looking at total minutes spent, um, you know, looking at refer- referral sources, um, 
I don't know. Um, you just kind of know when a piece has really achieved escape velocity, and you've got people, you know, screen grabbing certain sentences, certain paragraphs on Twitter, and just and just sort of losing their mind over it. That 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 that's the ideal. Um, that's from like a writing perspective. From a news perspective, you know, you also have pieces where you are looking for results that are much bigger than just doing well on social media. You're looking for a you know congressman or a senator to like you know brandish one of your stories in a live hearing on the mm-hmm. Hill, which is when that happens, um, here I'm thinking of a story about a GM whistleblower, that's a pretty big thrill. Um, so there's, di- there's there's different ways to feel like you've really uh, done, 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 a, done right by a story. You've mentioned the metrics that you have access to a couple of times now, um, not least the, the wonderful metric of, of how long someone spends on a great piece like, like Simon's. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about what you have Nick, access Nick to? Nick the person spend most time on <laughs> 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 I just left one browser window open. And, and, uh, um, you know, I, um, I'm comparing notes with, with people who have my job at other places. I think it seems like everybody has their own version of this, an mm-hmm. internal system where you can just lose yourself, you know, trying to uh, measure measure different stories and run, run reports. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that anyone, there's no, there's no perfect um, metric. Um, one I would love to see, um, and it probably exists, I probably just don't know how to access it, is figuring out what, what uh, line of a story people stop reading. Mm. I'm almost certain that's tracked. Um, but, um, you know, and hopefully you can use that information to sort of um, uh, remind yourself that not everyone is consuming your story as... If, you know, from absolute first word to last word, um, and you can get hopefully better at, uh, at, at at building stories that people do take through all, all the way to the end. Um, but um, I don't know. You know, a lot of um, a lot of times though, you can also be really, really proud of a piece that, for whatever reason, doesn't you know melt down the the server, and you can just be happy with it as a piece of writing or as a piece of reporting. And um, not everything can be can be a, a home run. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Um, I think it does. Thank Um, you for a really fascinating interview. uh, Yeah, thanks for coming in. This has been great. We hope you enjoyed that. Now, a brief update from our lives, Simon. Uh, I have been wrestling with my book manuscript, uh, which has been gruelling as ever, but I feel I'm in a slightly better position than before. And also, excitingly, my big piece for Outside Magazine ran, so I've been basking in the feedback. Cassie, what about you? I binge-watched the entire second series of Stranger Things for review for The Economist, and I've got another film review lined up for them. And then in bigger news, uh, I'm also still wrestling with my book manuscript, which will hopefully be published any month now. And um, The Secret Lives of Colour Without the You was published in America. Congratulations to Cassia. Thank you very much. It got turned into a BuzzFeed listicle. Amazing. I've made it. Anyway, this has been Always Take Notes, hosted by me, Cassia Sinclair. And me, Simon Aikham. Our producers are Olivia Krellin, Ed Kiernan and Liz Davies. Music is by Jess Danheiser. Our social media is by Zara Hankier. And our graphic design is by James Edgar. And we're on all the social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Them. Well, all the ones that matter. On Facebook and Instagram at Always Take Notes. On Twitter at Take Notes Always. And our website is alwaystakenotes.com. And as ever, please do leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. And uh, most people, but not all, (laughs) have found it a seamless and easy process. (laughs) Thank you very much. Bye.